and Moby.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, kind of kicking off with some bull sentiment here, audience. The Dow is up 500 points after the debt ceiling deal got passed. And we're at some really interesting hinge points in this economy that we're trying to figure out, is this real? Is this really a bull run? Or is this just the market having some bull sentiment before capitulating to the bad vibes of inflation and consumer credit? To help me sort of untangle that and figure out exactly what's going on here, as always, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, I mean, Dow up 500 points. How do I even suss this out? Like, uh, are we in the era of good feelings here? Is this all about to come crashing down, dude? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, you know, we were debating it before before we got on the call and over the last few days, is this rally sustainable? Is it real? Is it something we should believe in? I mean, as of this podcast and speaking of it on the live version, the Dow's up 600 points uh, and every major index is basically above 1%. So right now it's a it's an interesting time in the old axiom of markets, you know, grow on, um, on skepticism, peak on optimism and fall on euphoria definitely does hold true in some capacity. Um, but right now, it's very interesting to see how strong the markets have been to start this year, given what's going on. And so to kind of back up a little bit and, and kind of take a little bit more of a bird's eye view with this, you know, the QQQ, which is tracking the NASDAQ, is up almost 35% this year. Um, you look at the S&P 500, <clears throat> excuse me, the S&P 500, and it's also up um, about 13% to start the year. So you know, most major indexes are up pretty large and tech is clearly, you know, outperforming uh, relative to the the rest of the the world. And so we look at this and we're wondering, is this an overreaction or is this something that's warranted? And so I think looking at the major trends, which have driven the markets over the last year or two, which is obviously inflation, interest rates, uh, advancements in technology, which is inherently deflationary, um, and just overall fears about the banking industry and any impending, you know, black swan type events. And so when we factor all that in and kind of do a broad based view, you know, I understand why markets have been a little bit euphoric to start the year. It looks like inflation is finally coming down. It looks like a lot of this bad news is behind us. The economy has still been relatively resilient. I mean, the jobs report came out today and it's still showing that people are getting hired the unemployment rates low, all the while, you know, interest rates are at 10, 20 year highs. Uh, people aren't buying houses. And it, it seems like the Fed has really pumped the brakes on the economy and push, started to push inflation down a little bit as the supply side gets back on track as well. And the American economy still hasn't fallen out. So you look at that and you understand, you know, that's probably what's driving a lot of this rally. And it's understandable. But when you factor in the risk you know, from our side, we're not fully bought in yet. Um, inflation is still tracking month over month at 5% annually. It was up, the PCE was up about 0.4% last month, which again, annually then is 4.8%. And the Fed's goal is 2%. So it's still, you know, significantly higher than what the Fed wants. Um, and and as US like consumers ultimately should expect. Um, and so when we look at that, we think the Fed has still more, of a ways to go in terms of raising rates and in a high interest rate environment, companies will continue to feel the pain, can't grow as quickly. And it just gives another scenario like everything we saw a month or two ago with all the banks, the bank runs, 
for something else to implode. It's it's hard to say exactly where that point of failure will be, but the point is that that risk is still present. And so, you know, obviously being a part of the rally and seeing it go up is great. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, necessarily throw all your chips at the house and say, you know, the, the worst is behind us. There's still a lot of risk right around the corner. Exactly. Because what we're, we are entering into kind of like the, not the bottom, but the sort of the bottom out phase. If you have been following the flagship pond for a while, you will hear us talking about the various ways the market can go throughout this entire crisis. And at the very beginning of this, you know, beginning, end of 2021, beginning 2022, we were talking about all the ways that things could deepen or improve. And we're kind of at that same point, but at sort of the beginning of the bottom out of that parabolic curve that you see when when a downturn turns into potentially a bull run or a bull trap because what we're seeing today more than anything is just kind of like pent up buy sentiment from last week's nvidia rally like everyone wanted to get in on the ai craze now that nvidia has kind of really begun to prove the iphone moment in the market um for ai but nobody wanted to buy because there was in the post sort of donald trump era political impossibilities are way more possible and people were very afraid that like a debt ceiling deal wouldn't happen and the u.s would default on its debt and that would be sort of the black swan event that kicks things off debt ceiling got passed by the senate so we don't have to worry about that until the beginning of 2025 which is the beginning of the next presidential term which probably is going to be super fun can't wait for that um, that's going to be an even more annoying potential political conversation but at least we don't have to think about that right now and so that's the thing we're thinking about is watching a lot of this sort of like pent up bull sentiment sort of kick off into the market. That's why the Dow's up now 600 points since we started talking. And Justin, since we started talking here on Friday, we're getting into what appears to be the big hinge point for, for this rally. There's two really big pivot points here. It's a lot of bull sentiment being driven by genuine actual money-making technological advancements on the AI side, and then all of the fears surrounding a potential like wall we could hit. Is it going to be commercial real estate? Is it going to be consumer credit? I mean, consumer credit card debt hit $1 trillion in non-housing. Consumer credit is now at uh, $4.6 trillion, right? There's a lot of ways that like a credit crunch could slow things down, both from consumers or commercial real estate, or God knows what else. Like China just says, you know what, let's flip the board and invade Taiwan right here, right now, so to speak, even though that would be catastrophic for literally everyone. Nobody wins a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. There's so much uncertainty there. So rather than talking about that first, let's talk about what, we're, what I'm beginning to see is the big hinge point. Justin, since we started talking, um, Morgan Stanley just boosted their price target for Apple because on Monday, Moments after this podcast comes out in the recorded version, Apple is going to be doing their WWDC keynote where they're anticipating a reveal of some kind of mixed reality slash augmented reality headset. They've been hyping this up for ages. AR and VR has been such a head fake for a while. Like, it has not moved the needle for Meta. Meta is winning despite their Metaverse ambitions. VR is not cool. Nobody's going to wear it. But if anyone can prove this market, it's Apple. And Morgan Stanley, who is usually a very conservative, you know, shop that we, you know, we follow their research a little bit, they just boosted their price target, calling it a $20 billion platform. So my main question to you is, Justin, how are you looking at this potential hinge point on Monday as we think about where the economy is going to go post, you know, another potential iPhone moment on the Apple side of things? Like, they've also been developing AI stuff. So I'm more excited to see what they're going to do on the AI, on the sort of AI side of things. So I think that's going to drive them even further up. Uh, I think this is going to be a really risky day to be an investor, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are, especially since we are such AR slash VR skeptics, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's a good point. And, you know, obviously Apple being one of, you know, the most valuable companies in the world. In I think it's the, just... I think it's, it's number one still, right? Yeah, sorry. No, I meant like more so in terms of the value they just provide, like 
the everyday folks, not like the actual <laughs> quote unquote value of the company. Um, but yeah, I mean, from a market cap perspective, you know, they're they're the leaders. So yeah, just in terms of what Apple do like does and and ultimately how they impact the world, you know, one product launch, one massive innovation has, you know, wide stream effects, more than you would think. The iPhone moment was so huge outside of the consumer's perspective because it enabled so many other companies beneath it. Um, the ability to have an app store, you know, a- allowed us to have an Uber, allowed us to have DoorDash, allowed us to have, you know, a thousand companies that ultimately were able to use Apple's platform to get distribution to consumers. Um, so right now we're, we're not suggesting or thinking that, you know, that that's coming next. But AR VR has been such a topic over the last year or two, and it's kind of taken a little bit of a pause given what's going on with Meta in terms of them just being unsuccessful. And then this latest push into AI. But last year, years coming, it's been a major point of emphasis. So it's not like Apple's necessarily going to take a step back from any development they've done and completely negate all the work and money they've poured into it um, and time on top of that. So you know, as part of that anticipation, Facebook released, and Facebook, sorry, I mean Meta, released a new headset um, ahead of Apple's announcement in order to try and steal some sort of market share and kill into their hype. Um, But ultimately on Monday, that's what the anticipation is, that they'll be releasing some sort of AR or VR headset. At the end of the day, Apple obviously has an extremely successful track record of releasing new products. Um, You know, even look at the AirPods. uh, It would be as a, a standalone product in terms of the revenue it produces, like a top, I think, 100 company in the world just as like negating the rest of Apple. So that, the iPhone, the iPad, you know, the, their wearables ha- haven't been as as successful. But point being, when Apple releases a new product, they put a, they do usually a, a, a decent job to say the least. So if they release this AR VR headset on Monday, that could end up having wide stream implications because maybe it's significantly better than anything else that's been on the market to date. Having said that, we're a little cautious and skeptical going into this um, just because as a whole, the use cases for AR and VR have been pretty niche. And so what I mean by that is people who are buying AR and VR headsets are not your everyday consumer. Um, They're people who are like hardcore into gaming or some other like alternative use case. So you know, we, unless like Apple can do something that like just from a technology standpoint is years beyond like current availabilities, we're just finding it a little, you know, a little skeptical that ultimately they'll be really something that's going to be the next iPhone moment. It's very possible. And if they do, again, it will have wide streaming implications in terms of the people bidding, building within their metaverse, all the other companies will enable. And then that ultimately creates a deflationary environment for the rest of the economy. So I don't want to overstate or understate rather how important this could be. But again, we're just being a little bit skeptical given, you know, how we believe about the the space. But this is ultimately at the end of the day going to be their first new hardware launch if they do it since 2016. Um, so I would imagine, you know, this is going to be a, a, a massive, a massive update. And ultimately, we'll see what the combination of kind of like these technological like technological improvements are, any new use cases, um, and hopefully lower price points. Ultimately, if it changes the landscape for AR VR, um, we'll see. I mean, again, if they crack the code, the you know the TAM for this is is in the hundreds of billions within the next decade. So 
you know, long story short, this is potentially a altering, a game changing and, and like market altering event. And that's something that we all need to keep our, our eyes out on. We're doing a lot of research behind the scenes. Um, and hopefully after Monday, we can, you know, break down a little bit more, whatever announcement they make, what it actually means. And I think audience, you can kind of see just how much of a trick, like an itchy trigger finger we have on this, given that like, we're so plugged in that we're watching reports come out during the recording of our podcast, as opposed to just like shutting up and hitting record and doing a conversation because we want to get as far ahead of the market as possible in terms of understanding what the opportunity here is. And that's why we'd see it as a genuine hinge point. It's not something that's going, the market is going to react levelly to. It's going to be an up or down scenario. This is the highest risk possible product Apple could do. And this is after, you know, in 2014 or 16, when they launched their other highest risk product, which was the Apple Watch. Uh, wearables are so difficult because you have to do both, you know, technology and fashion. When the Apple Watch initially launched, it was first kind of seen as potentially just a fashion item. And it took several years of development for Apple to realize, no, this thing only makes money as a fitness tracker, right? And that's why they leaned heavily into things like the Apple Watch Ultra and whatever. And that's why they focused on Nike and not their brand partnerships with jewelers and all of that. So the main question is, how is the market going to initially react to this? Because if it is a genuine AR headset, as in something you can wear in the real world, not just a video game platform. God, if it's just a video game platform, Justin, it's over. It's <laughs> yeah, I mean, over. Yeah. Oh my God, can be, you imagine, dude? That would be just be super upsetting. It's like, obviously video games would be great. I mean, especially if it's like Ready Player One, I, I wouldn't be too upset. But I mean, the thinking going into this is that obviously it's more than that. And so like the killer use cases ultimately are going to be like the biggest question. And so, so far, the rumors are that this will be able to be like see through in a capacity. So like you put on the Meta's product and obviously you can't see past it. This should have, you know, real world overlay in terms of AR and VR capabilities. There is rumored to not have a controller needed and that it'll mimic very similar experience to your iPhone. So Already, that should be a massive step up. Does that unlock new use cases? Tough to say. We'll see how consumers ultimately take it. Um, and again, gaming is obviously a massive part of it. But, you know, in the short term, like maybe FaceTime and video conferencing becomes that much better because now it's 3D instead of 2D. You maybe want to watch like a more immersive streaming video experience. I could see fitness, you know, Apple has obviously made a massive push into fitness. If they have some sort of wearable that you can use at home and take a more immersive class like Peloton, you know, 2.0, let's call it, um, you know, that could end up being more use cases that then pump more funding into rolling out more and more. So maybe this is their iPhone moment. Again, too early to say, but yeah, to your point, I mean, if it's just going to be gaming in, in isolation, it's going to be a bit of a letdown. Exactly. And that's that's the main thing we're looking at because your face is the highest risk part of like any kind of fashion accessory like you when you buy a pair of glasses you kind of obsess over it and you know your face is the most expressive part of your body and therefore the part you're going to think the most about air quotes decorating nobody's getting face tattoos nobody's you know buying terrible hats and nobody is just getting random glasses and like consistently wearing them like it is the most significant fashion statement you can make and therefore this has to like if anyone's going to pull this off it's going to be apple but it's so high risk i don't even see how Apple pulls this off. Like I'm always going to be an AR VR skeptic until somebody invents contact lenses like in Black Mirror or um, or like forever. Like it's never going to be something people wear. Like it needs to be as cool as like a like Ray-Bans but as functional as Google Glass. And I don't see how you cram that much fashion and that much technology into a single piece of technology, right? Of course, 
we have no idea what this is going to be. We are in the blind with you. But if you are watching these markets, you're, you, you are like us. You are glued to your computer screen, 10 a.m. Pacific, Monday afternoon. Like everything kind of hinges on this because, again, a lot of the current bull sentiment we see right now is just reverberations from NVIDIA's big AI win and people looking back at Meta's earnings and being like, oh, wow, Meta's making money again thanks to AI. Oh, my God, Uber is too. So everyone's going to start doing it and start making money. Let's jump on NVIDIA. Let's jump on tech companies. If Apple comes out and like doesn't have like a, like a stunning AI development to come with a potentially kind of lackluster AR development, that could kind of suck a little bit of this oxygen out of the room and then the market only has to pay attention to commercial real estate, consumer credit crunches, inflation staying pretty sticky because it's supply chain inflation, right? So we could very much see um, the bottom drop out of the whole market next next Monday. Like it really looks like an honest to God hinge point, especially since right after Apple does this throughout the rest of the week, it's all food companies reporting earnings. And in our inflationary spiral right now, food is the primary thing that's going to be driving the bus on inflation. It's energy first, the stuff energy makes to make secondary products and then food. Like if you look at Tyson's earnings from a couple of weeks back, it's basically impossible for them to drive a profit on selling chicken wings right now because of how expensive chicken feed is, because how expensive it is to produce chicken feed, because of how expensive it was to produce fertilizer after oil and gas prices were at their highest possible ever last June. Supply chain inflation constantly reverberates all the way down the supply chain. And now we're at the food phase of those reverberations, which is only of course exacerbated by war in Ukraine, weird sort of um, climate issues like there's no more peaches in Georgia right now because the whole harvest was too hot for it. Um, that's going to be that's a whole other thing we got to talk about eventually um, once we have a better sense of like where, where food is going. Of course, with the war in Ukraine, not as much wheat is leaving, you know, the breadbasket of the whole world. So those prices are going to stay kind of elevated. So a lot of things to think about. So as we examine this, Justin, like we kind of focused on the bull sentiment here. We've talked about what could drive the market up or down, frankly. Let's get into some of our concerns here because like we're not trying to be contrarian or anything, but we you know, as a unit, see this sort of euphoria right now as potentially super high risk. And we're kind of staying on the sidelines and waiting for it to get proven out a little bit more. It's much better to be late to the bull run than getting caught in a bull trap. So when you look at all of the reasons why this could be fake, what are we particularly looking at? What are some of the things that are like the issues coming down the line that could just drive the market right back down now that we've passed through the debt ceiling sieve, so to speak? Yeah, this commercial real estate like boon ultimately could be like one of the next big factors. Obviously, you know, in the other direction, AI is, is helping. It's making things more efficient. With more efficiency comes less cost, and with less cost comes less inflation, which is great for the market. And that's been a huge kind of boost in this. You know, they're thinking that generative AI and all these chips ultimately will be used by every single company under the sun, which will you know reduce the need for employees, or even if it doesn't reduce the need for employees, it ultimately makes those employees two to three X more efficient per employee, which obviously has some pretty massive implications. Um, but that's the positive side. So back to the negative side, I think this commercial real estate bubble is potentially the next biggest factor. You know, obviously speaking of Apple and Meta a lot during today and just, you know, they're always relevant. Um, Meta Today also was saying, you know, back in the office three days a week, and it's it's been a struggle even to do that at the least. So if you're back in the office three days a week, you don't need the same amount of commercial real estate space. And when you look at major markets in the U.S., yes, in New York, you know, the finance people are back in the office, some of the media folks, but 
a lot of the people who are in technology in New York, a lot of the people who are in other like fields that are outside of finance uh, and or media are still remote. And you that even gets exacerbated in major cities where there's a huge like technology um, boost to the economy. So in San Francisco, you know, they're still looking at massive vacancy rates of of over 30, 40 percent uh, in terms of offices just being empty. So usually companies will take out 10 year leases. COVID was, you know, at this point, the the start of it was in early 2020, um, late 2019. So we're still only a few years into the cycle. Once these leases really start aging and companies either start going out of business uh, and or like just totally opting out, you know, we're going to be looking at a chance or an opportunity where a massive portion of commercial real estate from an office perspective just isn't needed or used anymore because either people are downsizing or they're just flat out working remote. Um, so like in places like New York City, for example, or San Francisco, again, two major cities in the U.S. that that contribute majorly to the U.S. economy, you know, those office buildings will likely need to be converted in some capacity, whether it's to warehouses, whether it is to residential, that's going to end up being, you know, this is years in the making, but potentially a, a massive problem. So developers who started these projects are going to have to refinance, rewrite, probably take massive losses and their default. You know, the banks might end up taking possession of these. People buy them for pennies on the dollar and over the next five to 10 to 20 years, completely refurbish these, these projects. So ultimately, like this massive, you know, trillion dollar industry that's holding up the, the global economy in terms of commercial real estate. Yes, 100% of it's not office space, but the portion that is is at a massive risk of potentially running into some sort of issue that brings down the economy, and, you know, maybe not today, but in a few years from now. So that is a huge existential risk um, that we're monitoring very, very closely. And that's something to really keep in mind, too, because um, it's going to be really hard to watch that play out. It might be one of those things that kind of plays out all at once. That's why we call it a potential black swan event. But the main thing we have to keep in mind is we don't know how, like, big of the losses are that our economy sort of has a stomach for. That's why the second thing we're worried about is consumer credit. Uh, consumer credit card debt topped $1 trillion. I said that earlier. That happened kind of this week, but probably a little bit before, which means that non-housing consumer debt is now north of $4 trillion. With uh, the student loan repayment pause being basically nixed as a part of the debt ceiling deal, consumer debt's going to be kind of a big deal moving forward as you, a lot of spending might be getting sucked out of like the e-commerce and retail space and shoved back into the financial system, so to speak. It really depends, right? But we, the main thing the market doesn't know is how much debt the economy has an appetite for. And so we're watching for any kinds of warning signs we can see. And we kind of, over the last two weeks, have gotten two pretty big ones. And that is dollar stores. Both Dollar General and Dollar Tree are down big as their margins begin to collapse, right? We're seeing sort of the bottom end of consumer spending kind of fall out. Whereas mid to high tier companies that are well run are doing well. Specifically, if you go to our site, check us out over at app.mobi.co, you can see our latest update for ELF, Eyes face the very digital first the very online mid-tier cosmetics company that is just soaring off of brilliant strategy beat after brilliant strategy beat like it, it's a money printing operation thanks to just being so focused and poised on good digital strategy whereas companies like dollar tree and dollar general were always relying on high margins because even though they're a dollar store they were selling like very very cheap items still for a dollar 
That paradox is now waning as A, shrink is up at both companies, i.e. items are getting lost, damaged, or stolen, and also they are being forced to sell much lower margin products like consumables, food, that sort of thing, as their customer base kind of runs out of discretionary money, right? So if that wall kind of increases and we see you know, companies on the other parts of the lower end of the retail cycle go down, that's going to be concerning for us because we will be seeing sort of the consumer spending wall you know, get crossed and start impacting revenues, which could cause its own kind of credit crunch. Uh, am I missing anything there, Justin? Is that something else we're worried about? Because there are still some really great winners in the retail space too. We need to watch out. It's a it's a very good point. I mean, you know, obviously Dollar Dollar General uh, is you know is just one one piece of it. You look at Target, you look at Walmart, you look at you know every retail company in the sun. They're all like acting a little bit differently. Like we have a report coming out on on Lululemon soon. Um, they've just been, been dominating and that's why, you know, to, to change topics for a second, that's why a stock, this is a stock pickers market, you know, gone honestly are the days of picking an index and just expecting to, to perform well. You look at like MongoDB, you look at Meta, you look at a lot of these stocks, you know, they're up hundred percent to start the year and the S and P is up 10, 10 to 15%. And that huge deviation is not what the norm was you know, over the last decade. Again, the NASDAQ up 25%, Meta, which is one of the massive pieces of the NASDAQ, is up four, almost four, more to four, than 4x four that. So that deviation, that opportunity didn't exist historically. And you look at the retail sector, at consumer discretionary, Lululemon, Dick's, a lot of these companies are doing really well where others are, are flailing and, and doing, you know, not nearly as well. So business models that focus on strong economics, profitability, you know, innovation, there, there's a handful of topics and it differs company to company, are ultimately going to have the best opportunity to do well. And so if you're putting money in an index like the S&P and hoping to, you know, do well or, or, you know, get the average of the market like you were over the last decade, things have changed a lot. So that if index goes up, the index goes down, there's going to be a lot of stocks that significantly outperform or underperform. And so finding the delta in terms of the market return relative to your portfolio's return is going to be bigger than ever. So if you're looking for a time to outperform the market, I mean, this is this is the time. And I will just say, audience, for the sake of integrity, maybe take that with a grain of salt. I personally believe that as well, but we are also a stock picking company at, at heart, right? So uh, obviously we want it to be a stock picking economy, not a sort of index economy. So, you know, maybe our bias is a little is showing a little bit there, but at the same time, like we yeah, are, like yeah, our our picks are doing great, so it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, <laughs> no, and I, listen, like yes, this is part of our business to pick stocks, of course, but I mean, notice that you didn't say, oh, you know, sign up for Moby, <laughs> and you'll uh, you'll outperform the market. You know, obviously, I uh, I think we do a great job, but there are plenty of other people that do a good job. So even if it, you're not listening to us, just going out there finding the education you need in order to also increase your net worth. You know, again, whether it's with us or somebody else, as long as you're going out and seeking that effort and, and making sure that you're trying to do that, that's that's all we want for everyone. That being said, though, if you do want focus in this time of like high volatility and like a difficult period to understand what exactly is happening in the stock market, I would I would recommend going to app.mobi.co and signing up. Download our app at the App Store or Google Play. Uh, and our long-term perspective can provide a lot of focus as you sort of like figure out how to build your portfolio during a very stock picking heavy time because as we phase back into bull times like indexes will start 
being more more and more relevant. And we can get back to the good old days where you just put whatever percentage of your salary in the S&P and didn't think about it. I love periods like this because I love thinking about the complexities of the market and watching all the interplay happen. And our analyst team honestly does a really awesome job in terms of stripping away a lot of like the malarkey in the market and focusing on fundamentals and narratives, seeing what's actually going to grow and what's actually not going to grow. Like we're going to be doing some very interesting counterintuitive research. We're about to put out a report on on running, which got cut 20% last month because the market is worried about the wrong facets of their fundamentals. Check out app.mobi.co to see that next week. At the same time, the market is still kind of strategically undervaluing things like ELF because they don't really buy into their digital first strategy, but like they're just going to keep printing margins forever, basically, because they have the exact right price point, the exact right distribution, and the exact right time, especially since e-commerce models are getting boosted back up by Meta, finally figuring out their ads market. So the, the price of advertising in Meta is going down while profitability on advertising in Meta is going up. So anybody who's digital first is going to see a lot of good growth there. It all kind of like ties together, right? But that's not enough to save companies like Advanced Auto Parts who have rising costs and can't get them under control. And that stock, unlike the rest of the auto parts market, is just getting cut in half though. And so that's how you have to think about this. You have to think about it deeply complexly. You have to see this economy as this insane interconnected machine. It's the most complicated thing ever built. It stays complicated and the inputs and outputs, you know, last years and those reverberations go across decades, which is why we're still secretly talking about the shutdowns in 2020 here in the middle of 2023. So really interesting time to be a little bit bullish, but at the same time, we have all, every reason in the world to be cautious. But today, the day this podcast comes out, big hinge point, and we're super excited for it. Justin, that kind of really takes us perfectly to the half hour, though. Any final thoughts from you before we go ahead and read the credits here? I think we did a solid job here. Just amazing that we only talked about Apple for 30 minutes somehow. Kind of wild. Yeah, I mean, Apple is obviously a big piece of the whole puzzle. So I'm happy we got to discuss it. I'm happy we got to discuss some of the overarching macro themes, talking about if we believe or don't believe in this bull rally that we're seeing right now. Um, you know, the, I think those are the big things that are going to be driving the market in the short term. We didn't necessarily get into energy prices, some of the real estate plays that we're looking at, um, and just some of the recent, you know, I think nuances and plays we've made overall. But as always, 30 minutes is, is tough to talk through this. So if anyone has questions or, or wants to check more things out, either head to the Discord, you know, we'll try to answer them as we can, or, or just head to the app and you, you can get all the information there. Absolutely. And so audience, just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr, in for Moby.co. All the intellectual value of this podcast comes from Moby.co and our analyst team specifically, which is headed up by our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst, Justin Kramer. If you have any questions, hit us up over at Discord. If you want to see our long-term perspective, check us out over at app.moby.co. we got 14-day trials for days. Give it a shot. See what we're all about. Make sure you're also signed up for our email newsletter where you can get sort of like the daily pulse check. Check us out over at Instagram and TikTok as well so you can again get more of the day-to-day -day insight we're slowly but surely improving our product over time getting more and more salient with our perspectives and we're really excited to help you understand the market regardless audience we really appreciate your time and as always we'd like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much <laughs>